Well, if you will, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, If you're using one of the uh, pew Bibles in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 461. So let me ask you, how satisfied are you? On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with your job? Uh, How satisfied are you with your income? What about retirement? Your marriage, do not blink. What about your home? How satisfied are you with your home? Uh, What about your car? Are you satisfied with what you drive? What about your pastor? Do not blink. Now, I, I realize that this is a question that can lead into even more questions, uh, such as, how satisfied should I be? Uh, how satisfied could I possibly be? Uh, should I raise my expectations or lower my expectations of what satisfaction should look like? Well, as we prepare to to celebrate the, the resurrection as we celebrate Easter in, a, in the next couple weeks. Uh, what I want us to do for the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at the musings of, some of, the smart, of, of one of the smartest men to ever live um, from the 5th century B.C. His name is Solomon. His unedited reflections And at times, endless ranting on the meaning of life will shock some of you and will probably offend others of you. So let's begin this morning looking at Ecclesiastes 1, uh, 1 through 4. It says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Wow. Just makes me want to continue to live life to the fullest right there. Everything I do is going to be meaningless. Why continue to go on? The teacher, when he says everything is meaningless, he literally means the meaninglessness of meaninglessness. In other words, you can't get any more meaningless than what he's talking about. The things that we strive for cannot be any more meaningless. He says in verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. What he's saying here is, hey, you people who think that you're special, that you, the people who think that you're, you're something big in this world, what does it really say about you when you die? Because everything else continues to go on after you're gone. You're not that special that the world just kind of stops right where it was the second you died. But he even further is saying to us, to all of us, that everything continues to go on after you live and after you die. Jerome says it this way, 
What is more vain than this vanity that the earth, which was made for humans, stays, but humans themselves, the lords of the earth, suddenly dissolve into the dust? The very earth that was created for us continues to go on, but us, the people who were meant to be on the earth and rule over the earth, will be gone. What is the point? The majority of our lives are spent looking for meaning. And some of you are probably thinking, no, I'm pretty sure I've lived plenty of my life and I was not like trying to find meaning in my life. Well, let me ask you these things. Did you ever find yourself looking for a place to fit in? To find a crowd that meant that you belonged to, that you were something in that crowd. Have you ever thought to yourself, when will I be, what will I be when I grow up? What career will I have when I grow up? I can remember thinking of a thousand things I wanted to be, and pastor was not one of them when I was a little kid. Because I was Catholic, and I was not going to be a priest. Not happening. Looking for that person who you'll give your life to, that your life will suddenly have meaning if I just find that significant person. And then you find that significant person and you get married and then all of a sudden the next thing on your list is if I just had kids, my life would have meaning. And then the kids come and you're like, what was I thinking? We long to start a family. Not being happy with our lives, our marriages, or our jobs, that's truly a search for meaning. We are born with an intrinsic desire to serve other people. Why is that? Well, one, we're created by God. But two, it's because we long to know that our life will make a difference, that our life has purpose, and we can find that in serving people. We search for meaning. So Solomon goes on, and he goes on, and he begins his search for meaning and wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, he says, Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom. And also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more knowledge, the more grief. He's gone as far as his mind could possibly take him. And he's realized that... If I know all of these things, all of a sudden, I realize I didn't really want to know all of these things. Do we really want to know all the things, the answers to everything on the face of this earth? It's like the person who longs to know everything about the ins and the outs of the government. 
But then they find out the ins and the outs of the government, and they wish they had never known. So Solomon then turns from wisdom, and he goes to the pleasures that the world has to offer. He says, then I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. That's an important line there. It says, he cheered himself with wine. And in other words, he tasted the alcoholic beverages. But what he's saying is, I didn't get stupid with it. Because my wisdom still guided me. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of my life. This is a, an idea of what's called carte diem. We'll get into this more next week. But it's this mentality of seize the day. Because the day you have is right now. So live it to the fullest. And it doesn't matter what you do. Just live life. Verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I call this the B.C. bling, before Christ bling. Because in that day, if you wanted to show like how rich you were, you showed people how many herds and flocks of animals you had. Because that meant you had status. So that was just a side note for you. You won't find that in your commentaries. Verse 8. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. You know, you and I, we typically... Save money to, to go to a concert. But no, he, he bought the concert. He, he bought the band and brought them to him. Because he wanted the full experience, so he just brought the band to him. And then this one, I'm not sure what he was thinking. I'm pretty sure wisdom left his mind when he got to this part. And, and I acquired uh, a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. A harem, if you must know, is um, a big lot of women. Not just one, but he married tons of women. I have a hard time figuring out one. For whatever reason, he thought that it was smart to, you know, have multiple. You know, wisdom left him at that moment. So we'll um, offer grace there. But verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refuted my heart no, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. 
He had all the wealth in the world. He had multiple houses. He had women at his doorstep. He had the gold and silver to do whatever he wanted. But yet, he finds himself still saying that this is meaningless. And he begins to change his tone at the end of chapter 2. Verses 17 through 26. It says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled under the sun because I must leave them to the ones who come after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it at all. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which, labor under, with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Now, I'm pretty sure if I would say these things in front of you today, you would probably have me committed because there's something wrong with you. But yet, how many times do we hear stories like this? I can remember hearing an interview of Bill Gates when he created his foundation with his wife. And when he was asked, so why are you giving your money away now? And he said, you know, this probably won't satisfy you as an answer. He's like, but one day I woke up and he's like, why? Why go to work? Why make another dollar? He has billions of dollars. A dollar literally became nothing to him. He's like, I'm blessed. Now I should bless people. Everything he sought to have, he had and found. Why? Verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth. To hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. When I, when I read this line where he says that all these things that I have massed is really from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? I think about the Constitution. The Constitution says that we have the right to pursue happiness. But yet we believe 
that says I have the right to be happy no matter what. So if you're going to give a right that takes away my happiness, you're going against the Constitution. But that's not what it says. It says that you have the right to pursue it. But it doesn't guarantee it. And see, all the things, all the wealth, all the material things that are out there really aren't what will satisfy us if we don't have God in our life. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. He had all the wealth he needed, but yet he still didn't have meaning. So taking all of what Solomon has just told us and what we've just read, I want us to think about this concept of an irreducible minimum. You may be asking, like, Jennifer, I showed her the graphic that I made, and she looked at it, and she's like, I don't get it. So I thought I'd better explain. If you have taken a math class at some point in your life, you've probably done fractions. And you've probably had a teacher ask you, um, can it be reduced anymore? Well, you reduce something to its lowest form where it can't be reduced anymore. So that's the concept. What is our irreducible minimum? What is the most common thing in our life that we cannot do without? So I want you to take a second and think about one thing that you cannot live your life without. What is the one thing that if you lost everything in your life, the second you walked out the doors today and left the church, what is the one thing you would have to have? Many of us were, are more than aware that this winter was um, a pretty bad winter. Um, not, not really fun at all. I cannot stand snow, and I saw way too much for the rest of my life just this last winter. Well, I want to share a story uh, of an unexpected storm that um, hit Atlanta, Georgia on January 29th. Um, this is a picture of Atlanta, Georgia... Um, an evening, I believe it was, um, the snow started in the afternoon. And here's the funny thing about this. Um, they got one and a half inches. It shut the place down. Gridlock. Everyone was trying to leave the city at one time. Um, wrecks everywhere. Traffic was horrendous. It got so bad that this little girl, Grace, was born on I-285. No hospital, just a bunch of cars to help out. What do you think was going through their minds when they sat in traffic? What do you think was going through their minds as they sat in the middle of traffic and knew they had to get home, that their safety meant home? 
I bet began to think about how fragile life was. Because they weren't prepared at all. And a simple thing to us as an inch and a half literally put a halt on their lives. They couldn't do anything. Everything was beyond their control. And they began to realize really how much control they have over their own lives. After being stuck in a car for 10 hours, you begin to process what your irreducible minimums are. What are the things that I can and cannot do without? Do you need lunch? Eventually, not right away, you're, you're probably pretty good. Do you need to listen to the XM radio in your car? Uh, probably not. You know, probably give me some uh, talk radio and tell me what in the world is going on and why can I not move more than two inches? Do you need water? No, not right away. As someone takes a drink of water. Now, here's a very important one. Do you need to go to the restroom in an indoor restroom facility? That's a very important question. Nope. Guarantee you, if you've got to go bad enough, you will find another way to make it happen. Hopefully, you left your takeout in the car last night. I can only imagine what was going through their minds. So what is the irreducible minimum for them? I know, it's getting home. That is the most important thing that's going through their minds, right? No. It's not. Getting home is not the irreducible minimum. The irreducible minimum in that moment is stay alive. How do I stay alive? How do I stay safe? And that's why people slept in grocery stores. That's why people slept on the floor at Home Depot. I love this picture. Can you see the guy laying there? He's got a roll of paper towel as a pillow. They slept like this because they had to survive. The cars can't just continue to run constantly. Eventually, they're going to run out of gas. And literally, traffic did not like, move until the next day when the snow melted. People found themselves asking themselves, I have to stay alive. And they found themselves knocking on the doors of strangers for a warm place to stay. I hope they had a series on how to love your neighbor. But staying alive became the irreducible minimum. The make and model of your car did not matter 
in this storm. The size of your income didn't matter. How big and awesome your house was that you had at home with the, the heat going and you know nice and toasty did not matter whatsoever. First question, are, are my kids safe? Are they taken care of? If they are, God willing, we will reunite before long. So I have to stay safe. I have to keep myself alive. But is that the irreducible minimum in this situation? Is that the bottom line for them? No. It's not. Here's the bottom line. People need Jesus. That's the bottom line. Because as we've just read, we looked at what Solomon says, that he amassed anything he wanted. He had it all. But it wasn't enough. His life was meaningless. You see, because this is just a temporary place for us. What is our life when we die? Because that has value, significant value on our lives and the meaningness of what we do. So let's go back a little bit. What was the irreducible minimum that came to your mind? Was it Jesus? You know, this is a hard thing to think about. It's a hard thing to process. Even as I wrote these, this message, knowing full well what my answer was going to be, it's still not the first thing that comes to my mind. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is my wife and kids. You know, I had a, a class that I had to go to yesterday, so Jennifer took the girls and she went up to her dad's. I knew where they were. I knew they were safe, but I still missed them. I still worried. They're, they're an irreducible minimum in my mind. But here's something you don't know about me that I want to share with you because I'm sure many of you have silly things like this too. But one of the things that I fear losing is all the information on my computer and the books in my office. You're like, what in the world? I, who cares about books? Well, if you look through my books, you'll find tons of marks, underlines, and highlights, and all this stuff. Because I go back to them. I reference them. And to me, my computer and those books equal hundreds, if not thousands of hours of research and study that I've put a lot of work into, and the thought of losing those things means I'm going to have to start all over. It means stress like crazy because uh, there's tons of stuff on there. And that worries me. But are these things 
my true irreducible minimum. You see, like Solomon, I've spent a large portion of my life seeking knowledge and understanding. But see, here's an important thing that we have to remember. Is knowledge, is understanding bad things in and of themselves? No. Are my wife and kids bad things in and of themselves? No. So our irreducible minimums that first come to our minds may be perfectly valid things, may be good things, not bad things like habits or you know, things like that. They could be good, but it doesn't mean that it's truly what gives your life meaning. You see, when these things, whenever they hold my life captive to the belief that my life will lose value without them in my life, I've put them above God. And as Solomon said, I'm merely chasing after the wind. In a few short weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to see and remember what he did for us in our lives. What is your irreducible minimum? The one and the only one who gives your life meaning in its purest form is Jesus Christ. So I ask you, where are you chasing after the wind? Where are you putting so much focus on your life that it will not matter when you die? Solomon talks about all the things that he put investments in. You know, he invested in his wealth, and, but he found out that when he died, I have to leave it to these kids of mine that have not worked hard to earn it. That some of them, if you read through the Old Testament, do not deserve it. But I have to leave it to them because obviously you can't take it with you. So there are two things that I want you to think about investing in. The first one is your relationship with Jesus Christ. The second one is to invest in relationships with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Because you see, the money that you have accumulated when you die, you have really, even if you have a will, no control over what happens with that money. But when you influence a person, when you invest in a person, you change their life. You know, what I want to see when I die is I want to be able to look down from heaven 
And I want to see tons of people at my funeral. Not because I was some great person and, you know, hey, look at me. I was, you know, awesome. But I just want to see the people that I impacted. The lives that I helped change. That's what will give your life meaning. But it won't mean anything unless I've invested first in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that is what gets you to heaven, is a relationship. So what are your irreducible minimums? I pray that you will actually challenge yourself to think about it. And even more, I pray that you'll invest in your relationship with Jesus Christ and the people around you.